Awesome. Well, welcome. Glad you all could make it. Uh, those of you who are joining us online tonight as well as our folks in uh, Appleton, Stevens Point, welcome. Glad you could be here tonight. Uh, last week, Pastor Mark got us started on this season of Lent by introducing us to the spiritual disciplines and uh, why they are important. We're going to kind of tag team through this season. And tonight I'm going to be speaking a little bit about the subject of prayer and the discipline of prayer in the Christian life and why it's important. Uh, this is a time uh, during the year when we focus much more on God and on others and intentionally turn our eyes away from ourselves and toward God and toward other people. Uh, we do this because Jesus did it. He came to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins, intentionally making himself a servant uh, of everyone in order that everyone could come to know him. Uh, the purpose of the spiritual disciplines is not to enslave me to boredom or drudgery. Uh, instead, spiritual discipline liberates us from slavery. It is a slavery to self-interest and fear. No one is designed to live apart from God. We all have this God hunger inside of us. It is a God space. And in order to achieve peace and happiness, that hunger has to be satisfied. And the only place you can go to satisfy it is to seek it from God himself. There are no other adequate substitutes for that. We long after God. We just don't know that we're longing after God. We feed that hunger, unfortunately, with all the wrong things. And then we realize it doesn't really satisfy anyway. It's kind of like an addiction to heroin. Uh, the addict craves it, and he does what he has to do to get it, and then after crashing off of that high, he still feels empty, and he's still craving more. There's never any satisfaction in it. The only thing heroin can do is offer a temporary quench to a permanent thirst. And it's the same thing with the things of the world in us as spiritual people. It just, uh, the, the things of the world cannot quench that thirst that's inside of us. It is a God space. It is a God hunger, a God thirst, and only God can satisfy it. That's why we're talking about the spiritual disciplines tonight. Spiritual longing is actually a very healthy thing, but it can be snuffed out. It can be quenched by many, many different forces and circumstances. And these things lead us away from spiritual health. They offer the same thing as that heroin high that we're just talking about, but they just lead us further into darkness. That's why the word discipline comes into the picture here. Sometimes pursuing God means that I do it when I don't feel like doing it. I do it in spite of the forces that are working against me, trying to draw me away from that stuff. We face two major difficulties when we decide to pursue a deeper spiritual life. The first difficulty we face is called materialism. Uh, materialism teaches that we cannot reach beyond our physical world, that this world is really all that exists, that we have to make the best of this world if we're ever really gonna find lasting happiness. We are taught through materialism that if we can't see it or hear it or taste it or feel it, then it must not exist. If a person hears this secular propaganda enough, he begins to doubt spiritual things. They seem less relevant to him, less reasonable, less logical. So that's the first obstacle we face trying to be spiritual people. The second one is in pursuing a spiritual life has to do with something that's more practical. 
we don't even know how to start. That is a problem. For many of us, we do not know where to begin when it comes to getting going with our spiritual walk with God and connecting with God in a spiritual way. In the first century, uh, biblical writers were raised in a culture where spiritual disciplines were really a part of their life. These spiritual disciplines were taught from an early age. They were practiced by most, most adults then uh, to one degree or another. Uh, listen to these words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. The key word in those three phrases is when. Do you see the common thread? When you do it. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. He didn't say you need to pray. He didn't say you need to give. It was understood that people practiced these spiritual disciplines then. It was a part of their daily life. That is not true today. We have a practical problem with spiritual discipline today, and it, it's just a part of our Western thought, our secular Western thought. We don't think and practice the same way that the people do who wrote these scriptures. So the Western mind is a second obstacle. It's a more practical one, but it's very real nonetheless. What we're doing during Lent is taking this time out. We are intentionally refocusing on our need for God, intentionally seeking to recreate our desire for God. We have to take this time intentionally because our natural sinful man, well, he doesn't want anything to do with it. And when you pursue God in this way, of course, it's difficult, but the rewards really will be amazing. We are not confusing Lent with religious duty. Uh, we experience Lent because we want to experience a life of relationship with God and intimacy with God. That's the whole goal of this. Another reason we pray is because we're sinners. And we are sinners in the worst way. We are habitual sinners. After our frustrating efforts to break free from sinful behavior and then failing, we're all acquainted with that, we come to God and we have this aha moment. We realize that becoming the man or woman that God wants us to be is an inside job. And that means I receive a freedom on the inside that can only be given by God and the way that comes is through prayer, the discipline of prayer. In Paul's letters to the Romans, uh, letter to the Romans, there is an inner righteousness that Paul refers to there. Uh, he, he calls it a gift from God. And he talks about it 35 times in just the book of Romans. The gift of God, the inner righteousness that we receive from God, but it has to come from him if we're going to begin to honor God with our lives. It is his gift. And receiving from God does not mean that I just sit and wait for something to happen. Receiving that inward ability to live a godly life means that I exercise certain disciplines beginning with prayer so that I can connect with God so then that these abilities can be imparted from God to me. In uh, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline, he wrote this, 
The disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. The path of the disciplines does not produce the change, it only places us where a change can occur. The disciplines put us in a place where we can connect with God and then in that connection is where the change, the transformation begins to happen in me. If I'm not practicing those things, then basically what I'm doing is, is blocking off the connection between me and God and the change in me isn't really gonna take place. The spiritual discipline of prayer means that I choose to come to God for help and in that process, there is a channel that opens up into my life from God and then he pours in his spirit of power into me. Then, once the power is there, that's when the change can begin. That's why it's a good idea to talk about prayer tonight because in prayer I am taking full advantage of placing myself in a position where change can occur. I am coming to God, I'm connecting with God and then receiving his power to live this new life that he calls me to. Well, prayer starts with meditation. Uh, how many of you guys have ever been told to calm down by somebody? <laughs> I bet when you were a kid, mom, mom came to you and said, son, you need to calm down. Daughter, over in the corner, it's time for a timeout. And uh, I want you to breathe deep, I want you to calm down, you know, I want you to just let it loose and unwind here a little bit because this drama that you're going through right now is going to pass, take a deep breath. And uh, sometimes that's, that's what we have to do with God. Uh, we've all been through this uh, because our lives are crazy and the pace of life in America is so fast and it's so cr you know, crazy all the time that it's very difficult to unwind. It's very difficult to just chill out and take time with God and then focus on him. And so for the person new to prayer, this is, without exception, the most difficult obstacle. I am not used to sitting still. I am not used to focusing my mind on God. I mean, you probably struggle with this. It's like, you know, when you take a laser pointer and you've got a cat and you point the laser pointer on the wall and the cat just goes frantic trying to chase that thing, that little dot on the wall. That's, that's what sitting, sitting trying to focus on God is like for a typical person. You know, your, your brain is just doing this whole thing all the time. You try and focus and you can't. It's very difficult. And that's why we call it a discipline. It's something that we've got to start doing on a regular basis just to get used to doing it and calming down if nothing else. Thomas Akempis defined meditation as a familiar friendship with Jesus. Christian meditation is a, necessarily, uh, is a necessity because it is a way that we grow closer to God and it teaches us to rely on his power to change us and to change our circumstances. Again, we are not brought up this way. Uh, meditation for most Americans is a foreign word. Eastern religions such as Hinduism and Buddhism freely practice and teach meditation, which has kind of colored that term for evangelicals. But we don't need to be offended by it. We don't need to be frightened by the word meditation. It's legitimate. Actually, Christians did it first. <laughs> It's our word. It's not their word. It is what we are supposed to do is to meditate upon God. 
Richard Foster again writes, what happens in meditation is that we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in our heart. You have to have the space so that Jesus can come in and begin to build his temple and construct his space in your heart. But he can't do it if you're frantic. He can't do it if you're running around all the time and not thinking about him. There are common misconceptions about meditation. First, people sometimes think that it's very similar to the Eastern religions, which I just mentioned. But here's the difference. In an Eastern religion, theirs is an attempt to empty the mind Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind. It's just that you're filling it with the right things. Eastern forms of meditation focus only on a person detaching from the world, meaning lose your identity, lose your personhood, empty yourself. Christianity takes it to the next step. We don't just give ourselves up to God. We actually attach ourselves to God who fills us with his presence and makes us his own. Other religions cannot claim that. They teach detachment, we teach attachment. Becoming one with our Savior God. Okay, another misconception about meditation, it's just too difficult. It should be left up to the religious people, the priests, the deep thinkers, the philosophers. I can't do that. I'm not a deep person. But this is never the case for a believer in Jesus Christ. It is simply having a quiet moment with God. It involves thinking of God during the day. A meditation moment can be just that, just a moment. It doesn't have to be hours. It can be longer depending on the situation, but even just a quiet moment during the day a time when you're reflecting on God, connecting with God, that's meditation. That's the start right there. The bottom line is you're connecting with God in that moment when you're thinking of him and then you are managing to communicate things to him that are deep inside of you. Another misconception is that meditation prayer is a form of psychological manipulation. It's just a way to relax and be at one with the universe around me. But again, meditation, it's not that at all. It is communion. It is communication with a personal living God at a very, very deep level. It is a relationship, not just an exercise for my subconscious. Another important point about meditation, we don't need a mediator or in this case, we don't need a substitute meditator for us. For many of us, we have been brought up in the traditional church. We were taught, we practiced the idea that there has to be a mediator between God and us, a priest or a pastor uh, devoted to serving God who is equipped to pray to God on our behalf, uh, meaning they intercede for us, they confess for us, they praise God for us, they give thanks uh, in our place. For us, that's what we were brought up as speaking to God. But that's not what we find in the scriptures. Look what it points out in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And then over in Psalms 48, verse 9, within your temple... Oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Look at the language used there. 
you, the people, you meditate on God's word. We, the people, we meditate on your unfailing love. They're written that way for a purpose. There is no mention of a priest doing the meditating for the people. The people did this, and you and I have to do this. So how do we begin meditating and praying if a priest isn't going to be involved? Well, the starting point of having an appetite for a deeper relationship with God is always grace. God will draw us into a life of prayer and meditation as we grow to know him better. Meditation involves both reason and imagination. God knows how to sanctify our thought processes. He knows how to do the same thing with our imagination. And both of those faculties, reason and imagination, have to be used when we meditate on God. So we think of him, we imagine him. That's where meditation starts. And it all happens by the grace of God. God drawing us to himself and giving us the ability to use these faculties. And so he draws us to himself, he draws us to speak with him, he draws us to listen to him. God's grace gives us the ability to quiet our thoughts, but the biggest thing that God's grace does is it puts the want to in me. We don't want to do this stuff. Come on, let's be honest. Our flesh, our carnal nature, our sinful being, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't want to do that. It doesn't want to quiet itself down and spend time with God. And so his grace comes to us if we ask for it, and he puts the want to in us. Where I was cold and indifferent toward God before, God places this warmth, this desire inside of me, an excitement even in my heart about communicating with him. Now you may say, well, I've never had that before. Am I supposed to do something to get it? That's a good question. All you have to do to get it is to ask God for it. God's grace. God, help me to pray. I can't do this. That's all right. That's a legitimate prayer. That's a good place to start, actually. Start by asking God, help me to pray. It's a good way to go. Then help me to be quiet, Lord. Help me to know what it is to enjoy your presence, just to take a deep breath, enjoy the moment. Wow, God's here. I'm digging this. It's a simple prayer, really, but it's a great start for a life of meditation and prayer, especially if you've never done it before. Uh, here's some practical things to consider about meditation and prayer. First of all, make sure you choose the right time. If you're a morning person, don't try praying at night. If you're an evening person, <laughs> don't pray in the morning. You know that's going to end in failure. So don't do that. When's the best time for you to take, think of this, 10 minutes to be with God? When is the best time of the day that you can do this? Are you a morning person or an evening person? Figure that out first. Next, choose the right place. Don't sit in front of the TV with Good Morning America on and think that you're going to have a time of meditation. That's a bad idea. Don't do it when your kids are around. If you're going to get up to pray, get up before the kids get up because you know what's going to happen once they wake up. Take the dog out, let him pee first. Bring him, back, bring him back inside so he's not bugging you. Feed him breakfast, then sit down to pray. Very practical, but you've got to have time. It takes 10 minutes of your time to do this, but you're not going to do it if there's all these distractions running around. So find the right place to do it. If you've got to go into a room somewhere and close the door and be quiet, do it. 
Choose the right posture. In other words, a position that is most comfortable, the least distracting. Some people like to sit. Some people lie down on their face. Some kneel. Some stand with their hands raised. Some need to walk around while they're praying so they can stay awake. Whatever it takes, you'll have to discover which one's going to work best for you. There are different forms of meditation. Meditating on the scriptures is the most common. Uh, This is probably uh, the easiest to pull off too. It is a meditation that has been the practice of Christians from the very first century. Uh, Read a simple passage of scripture, that's all you gotta do, and think about it. So open your Bible before you pray and just, as you're reading your Bible, there might be a verse that jumps out at you and you can just sit and chew on that for a while. Toss it around in your mind. Place an accent on different words or, uh, that are in a phrase there. For example, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. Emphasize different words to yourself and think about what it's saying. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd right now. You can see how emphasis on different words can bring about different meanings. Then meditate about it. Run it around in your mind, your imagination. What might that mean? The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, how has he become my shepherd? Does he really look out for me? How has he shown me that over the years? Then worship God and thank God for that, that he is your shepherd. He watches out for you. He protects you. He provides for you. This is what meditation is all about. Next, you can meditate on God's creation. It's okay, take a moment and really look around you at the wonderful things around you in creation. A tree, a flower, a cloud formation. Check out the sunset or the stars in the sky. Try not to freeze if you do that tonight. Don't stay out too long. God made those. He made those things and he made them for you. All of it. Just so you could be blown away by the beauty and the size of his creation. Did you know that? Did you know he created that for you? The beauty and the massive whatever glory of his, it's there for you. Worship him for doing that. He did it so that you could glorify and honor him. Finally, we can meditate on what's going on around us. The events of our times. What's God doing in the world? How can we intercede for those who suffer? What creative answer might God give me to find a solution to the people who are suffering around us? So that's, those, are, those are things that can happen in meditation. Then we graduate from meditation over to actual prayer and communication. We become intentional about prayer by just starting somewhere. You've got to start with baby steps. Uh, first, you have to believe that you are praying to a God who hears you, understands you. He wants to listen to you. He enjoys it when you talk with him. He loves the conversation. Jesus was called the word of God. It's because God's talking all the time. And he wants to talk to you. And he would enjoy that conversation. The world and our sinful nature tell us, well, everything in the universe is already set. So we can't change anything. And if things can't change, then why should we pray? That's kind of the futility that people come to God in prayer with. You don't need to do that. Uh, The good news is that the Bible actually does not teach that. It teaches the opposite, that when men and women pray, things change. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, for we 
are co-workers in God's service. Or in another version, we are co-laborers with God. The primary way that I work alongside God as his co-laborer is in prayer. You've probably got questions like, why is prayer necessary? How can a finite human being like me enter into a dialogue with the infinite creator of the universe? Or how can this immaterial reality of prayer affect the material world that I live in? Those are common questions, and we get that. God gets that. Hopefully, as you learn to pray, these questions are going to begin getting answers. There are many books that have been written on prayer. The Bible's got a lot to say about prayer. Bottom line is, God does expect us to pray and talk to him. Uh, He's given us a model for praying even, which is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, If if you don't know any other prayer, learn that one. We pray it every Sunday morning. Uh, Take that to God and use that as a framework for conversation with God. Uh, We see men and women in the Bible who prayed often and sometimes with staggering results. And we are taught in the New Testament to make prayer a part of our lives. It's very important. If, uh, just take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 from the Apostle Paul. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then again in Philippians, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus okay so remember you may have this inborn belief already it may be already ingrained in you that prayer doesn't really change anything so you're going to have to work past that as you teach yourself to pray one thing that might help is that prayer does have to be learned The the disciples came to Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So they were practicing Jews and they understood, we've never seen anybody pray like Jesus, our our rabbi. We've never seen anything like that. So they, they came to God, they came to Jesus as their master and said, Lord, we need your help here. We need to learn how to pray. That's That's okay. Like I said earlier, if you, if you haven't found the grace to sit quietly before God, that's where you start. Ask him for that grace. That said, there are times when we're going to have to pray. Uh, for example, the prayer, thy will be done, or if it is your will. Uh, when we need guidance from God about a decision that we're facing, it could be that we may feel we're supposed to give something up or maybe there's a plan for our life that we thought we were supposed to pursue and all of a sudden something happens and it's new and it's different and God's saying, no, that's not the way I want you to go. Or maybe there's a person, a relationship in my life that is just poison. I've got to get rid of that. God, what do you want me to do? Help me here. I need your guidance. And, so there, and maybe there's an opportunity in front of you that's facing you and you're like, God, help me. What's the choice? And if we release those kinds of things to God in prayer... If it is your will, God is going to answer you. He's not going to leave you hanging. He loves you. He wants to take care of you. He wants to make sure you're you're found doing his will and you're growing spiritually. So learning prayer means I have to start by getting in tune with God. It is an attitude of humility where I acknowledge, God, you're the boss, and his will is the best and safest place for you to be. Now, if someone asks you to pray for their headache... You don't need to try to figure out God's will as to whether or not you should do that or not, okay? 
just lay hands on the poor person and pray for them. You don't need guidance for that. Uh, but if you're torn, for example, between a job offer or whether this is the right person to marry, or if, it's okay to ask God, show me what, humble yourself before him and say, God, I don't know what to do here. Please show me what your will is. Uh, another form of prayer is intercessory prayer. Intercession is just a fancy word for praying for somebody else. And uh, to begin interceding for someone, I've got to learn a couple of things. First of all, I've got to learn about guidance. Uh, this part is uh, uh, between you and God uh, and, and goes back to what I was just talking about. Lord, teach me to know and hear and obey your will. Uh, this is, this is, makes perfect sense spiritually that we would ask God for that. You know, it's very, very difficult to pray the right things for other people when you don't even know how to get the right things for yourself. We have to be tuned into God. We've got to understand what it is to listen to him and listen for his voice. If we begin doing it enough, it becomes second nature to us, and then that enables us to intercede intelligently for other people who are needing God's guidance as well. Next, when it comes to interceding for another person, do not be distracted by their need. Their need. I mean, the needs of some people in some cases are huge. They're massive. In some cases, it's a life and death situation in their need. We are naturally drawn to these people. We feel mercy and pity for them and, and compassion. And there's a lot of drama that can be involved. And we'll get distracted, actually, from what God might be ready to do in somebody else just because of the drama that's going on. So we've got to learn in situations like that to be quiet in spite of this emergency that we're in the middle of and learn to be okay with praying for smaller things for a while. Once you get accustomed to praying for the small stuff like the headaches and the getting a good grade on a test or God's favor on some sales presentation, you get accustomed to the small stuff, then when the emergency hits, you're gonna be accustomed enough to praying that you're not gonna just be freaking out and distracted by the emergency and the drama of the situation. You can be calm in the face of the storm and say, God's got this, let's find out what he wants to do here, okay? Uh, learning to be quiet in God's presence has another benefit. It will quiet our fears. Uh, guys, let's be honest. Uh, Say you're called to a hospital and somebody's lying on their hospital bed dying, uh, that can be a pretty fearful situation if you're called on to pray for that person. It'd be pretty intimidating. Uh, this teaches us not to worry, even in a situation like that. So before you pray for a person, spend time with God. Ask God to give you genuine compassion for the person and for his power to come through you and work in spite of your own inadequacies. Remember, it's not about you, it's about his power coming to touch the person that you're interceding for. That's very important to remember. God loves that person more than you do. God has the ability to touch them and heal them. You don't. You are there as an intercessor. You are there as a channel of God's blessing that person. You are there to pray for them and God's gonna answer your prayer. Next, ask God for his compassion for those for whom you pray. The primary reason that Jesus prayed for people was because he had great compassion for people. Intercessory prayer is not about me. It's not about demonstrating whether I have great faith or not. God doesn't care about that. He cares about the person. He cares about the person you're praying for. And so, remember that 
and ask God for his great compassion for the purpose. During times of meditation uh, and prayer, there may come a certain rising up in your heart, this almost like a compulsion to intercede for someone or an assurance of a rightness or a flow of the spirit. Yes, I'm heading in the right direction. I can feel it in my spirit. God's working in me. He's listening to the very words that I'm praying for on behalf of this person. And there's like an inner yes, like a divine authorization or an okay for you to pray for that person or that situation. Man, when you're feeling that, go for it. Go for it, because when you have that kind of favor with God and that kind of connection with God, you can be assured that something is going to happen. Something is going to take place. God is hearing your prayer for that person. So prayer, in the long run, it's not complicated. Uh, it's, a, it's a learned experience, but it doesn't mean that prayer becomes more complicated as we go along. It doesn't. It's not like starting in grade school with addition and then working your way up into calculus, uh, it's not like that. It's a different kind of learning. It's an intuitive kind of learning. The heart of my prayer life begins with openness and honesty before God, and it is marked by my trust in God. Foster wrote this, the reason that God answers prayer is because his children ask. He answers prayer because you ask him. This sounds so simple. But it is astonishing how infrequently people think to ask God for help regarding a friend or a loved one. It's very common. We will hold back because we think, oh, well, God couldn't ever hear my prayer. I'm nobody. I haven't been to church for a while. Uh, God would probably laugh if I tried to pray. Uh-uh. It's not like that. God hears the prayers of his saints because we ask him. We go to him. Uh, James 4.2 said this. You do not have because you do not ask. So ask, ask God. It's that simple. A bigger problem is not the fact that we don't ask, but that we don't know God. If you know God, it should be a very natural thing because of the relationship to ask God for things. What do we pray for? <laughs> well, the list is pretty long, isn't it? It's an endless list of things to pray for. We know that. But only God has the whole thing covered. He's the only one that really knows the extent of the prayer list. So where does that put me? Where does that put me and my prayers in the bigger picture of things? It can be overwhelming if you try to cover everything all at one time. So here's some suggestions, just some starter suggestions so that you don't get overwhelmed by all the needs that are out there. Start with your family and your friends. Who is sick in your family? Which of your kids is struggling in school? What friend is working through a broken relationship? These don't need to be long prayers just from your heart. Pray, intercede for these people. Intercede for your kids. Intercede for your husband or your, or your wife. Next, pray for your marriage and pray for other people's marriage. It goes without saying that strong marriages and strong families make strong churches. So if there are serious issues in your marriage that need prayer, it's time to ask God. Talk to him about it. And, but this one note about praying for your marriage, you better be ready to change if you start praying for your marriage because you're going to have to change and your spouse is going to have to change if things have gone wrong there. Third, pray for your pastor. Pray for the church. Most people do not understand the pressures of pastoral ministry. It's very difficult. And uh, God doesn't expect you to understand that stuff. But prayer for your pastor is very, very important. Pray for his spiritual health, 
his emotional health. Pray for his wife, the children. Uh, the pressure on a pastor's family is extreme. Pray that he has wisdom in guiding a church and teaching and, and the things that he teaches and the things that he preaches that God will you know, instruct him and show him what to teach the church. Pray for God to bring the right volunteer leaders into the church and additional staff, if necessary, into the church. The health of a pastor directly affects the health of a church. Pray for your pastor and your leaders. Uh, practice flash prayers. These are short, one-sentence prayers that may come to mind as you're going through your day. Uh, maybe you see somebody broken down on the side of the road and you're on your way to work and you're late. Breathe a prayer to God for that poor person broken down on the side of the road. You don't have to stop for every stranger you see. and Sometimes you just can't do it. But you can pray for them. Does God hear short prayers like that? Yes, he does. And yes, he will answer your prayers for that person. They count. Finally, pray against evil. This is often an area where we are least experienced, but this is one in which our prayers can be the most effective, praying against evil. Jesus Christ has given you authority over evil. As a follower of Jesus, you have the ability to combat evil at its core, meaning the evil spiritual influences and powers that cause people to do horrible things. You have the ability to combat that stuff in another person. You don't have to go looking for evil. <laughs> you will know when it's time to pray against it. You will sense when something needs to be confronted in prayer and that you are the one that God has chosen in that moment to do it. So be bold when you're coming against evil. Pray like this, Satan, I bind you in the life of the person that I'm praying for in Jesus' name. Remove yourself from their situation right now. You command him to let go and he has to obey your prayer in Jesus' name. Or you may sense that there is something wrong somewhere, you're just not sure what it is. Sometimes that's the Holy Spirit prompting you to pray for safety for someone. So you can pray, Father, please watch over John or Martha as they're traveling today and give your angels charge over their journey and then command the devil to remove himself from the pathways of the person that you're praying for. Oh, maybe that's not going to happen every time John and Martha go on vacation. <laughs> but it could. And if somebody's coming to mind and you're feeling restless in your spirit about that, address it. Pray for it. God's given you the ability to do that. You don't know what's happening, but I'll tell you, it can influence the course of another human being's life. Let's be sure that we do that. Take the advantage of that. Now, this prayer against evil, <laughs> I know, it sounds weird for some of you. It's spooky. But you've got to become, it, these kinds of prayers have got to become a part of our ongoing conversation with God. And we've got to grow accustomed to the fact that much of what is happening around us is not seen by human eyes. Just because I cannot see it does not mean it isn't happening. It is happening. God's spirit is there. That's awesome. 
We know God's spirit is there, but so are the evil spirits in the world, and they never stop trying to destroy people. I can't emphasize that enough. We can put a stop to their work through our prayers. You can do it. You have the authority to do it by Jesus. And so Peter, in his epistle, instructs us in 1 Peter chapter 5, be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, and he does have teeth, by the way, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Paul the Apostle wrote to us in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So prayer, when we first begin, is going to seem difficult and sporadic and awkward. But I'll tell you, you, and you're never going to really feel like praying. It's got to be something you choose to do, especially as a young believer or a person that's just getting started in your journey of faith or your prayer experience. Uh, But you've got to do it. And these kinds of prayers are going to develop more and more in your life as they become a part of your life and your walk with Christ. Take advantage of them. Do them. Uh, Don't feel, however, like you have to pray for X number of minutes or hours per day in order to be a spiritual person. Start slow, okay? Uh, Here's what I encourage people to do when you're getting started with your prayer life. Set a goal to spend time with God four out of seven days a week. Four out of seven days a week, 10 minutes per day. This way, you're setting a reasonable, attainable goal and you are allowing God uh, into your life uh, and and, uh, getting yourself into a routine. Follow that for three months. I ask this question of people all the time. If God had a choice between spending 10 minutes a day with you and zero minutes a day with you, what do you think he would choose? He'd have the 10 minutes, wouldn't he? Take that time, four out of seven days a week. Give it three months, and by that time, you will actually have the habit established of prayer, and it will become less of a choice for you and more of a want to. I want to do this. It's becoming a a real integral part of my life. Finally, realize that the goal of your prayer journey is that your life is transformed and that prayer becomes like breathing to you. A.W. Tozer said the whole, life, uh, the whole life must pray. I have no idea what issues you guys might be facing tonight. I don't know where you're at on your faith journey, but no matter where you're at or what your need, God does want to communicate and he wants to start doing it with you right now. He wants to hear you, he wants to, uh, and he wants you to hear him, to discover what his voice sounds like, and it's not that hard, you just got to take the time to do it and then begin to practice. So maybe there's, a, maybe there's a behavior or an attitude that continues to cripple you and make you miserable. Maybe you feel dried up inside. Uh, maybe you can't seem to find peace or joy or contentment. Maybe there's someone on your heart who desperately needs help or healing and you've been feeling helpless and unable to do anything for that person. Well, pray for them. It's not a cop-out to pray for them. It may be the very thing they need the most from you. It is the place that we start when we need help or when someone we know needs help. That's where you start. Do something different. Go to God. Ask God for help. Make that your first response. Start a new habit 
of prayer. Give it three months. Money back guarantee. Uh, don't give me any money. Uh, on second thought. But give it three months. I guarantee you this. If you'll do that, you're going to begin to discover an incredible difference in your life. And it really will change your life. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer right now. Father, we thank you and praise you for letting us be together tonight in this place, looking into your word, studying your word, hearing what you have to say about prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us the grace that we need to draw us out of ourselves and into fellowship with you and to make it a regular habit of our lives. Lord, help us to understand how delightful it is to be in your presence and to converse with the lover of our souls. And Lord, how deeply you care for us and want to communicate with us and hear everything that is on our hearts. And so, Lord, tonight we choose to begin this discipline, to begin coming to you on a regular basis, taking these moments to spend with you so that we can communicate with you and hear your voice. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you, Lord God, that you desire this fellowship with us, that you are here to give us this grace so that we can discover even more how wonderful it is to communicate with our ever-living God. We love you and we ask you, Lord, for your grace upon our lives tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.